live from the District of Columbia. You are listening to the Black Fundraisers Podcast, a weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips black fundraisers to excel and positively impact black communities. With your host, Kia Kroon. Good day, good people. It's your girl, the one and only Kia Kroon, the founder and host of the Black Fundraisers Podcast, your weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips Black fundraisers to positively impact Black communities. I want to thank you for tuning in because I know you got options in these internet streets. So while you're listening, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review so that we can signal to the powers that be that this is relevant content. And while you're at it, stop by my website, www.kiacroom.com to learn what a sister's been up to in the nonprofit and philanthropy world and and to explore ways that we can possibly collaborate or become one of each other's network. Y'all, this month, the month of February is such a special and exciting one for a number of reasons. I am a Pisces and have a birthday. And yes, I rep for the Pisces. And yes, the sister is turning a year older and I'm excited about that. And I'm certain you'll hear a little bit about it this month. But first and foremost, I mean, duh, it's Black History Month. And I've got some fun and great programming in store for you. This month is all about Black resistance on the Black Fundraisers podcast. That is our theme. And this month, we will be exploring Black resistance and philanthropy. We'll be celebrating Black resistance and Black resilience, celebrating Black-led social change. We'll share some laughs. We'll hear some uh, great voices, some of which you're familiar with or you may not be familiar with, but I'm certain you will love. And lastly, y'all, the Black Fundraisers podcast is turning one. Yes, I can hardly believe we're approaching one year, (laughs) one year since I just randomly took to the internet streets and started doing this, started podcasting. It's challenged me and grown me in so many different ways. And I have so many of you to thank for listening and riding this journey. So yes, we are going to celebrate the one year anniversary of the Black Fundraisers podcast. Yes, blowing up like you thought I would, call the crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. In the words of Biggie, and if you don't know, now you know. (laughs) Listen, it would be right if I didn't throw some bars in there. But seriously, I'm super grateful to all of my listeners and subscribers in the words of one of my favorite rappers, Tupac, you are appreciated. So y'all, without any further ado, I want to quickly tell you about today's episode. Today, I am joined by Dr. Jacqueline Bouvier-Copeland, founder of Black Philanthropy Month and The Wise Fund. She has stopped by the Black Fundraisers podcast to discuss the origins of Black Philanthropy Month and to share a little bit about what she's been up to. Without further ado, good people, let's get into this episode. 
Please stand by as I bring Dr. Copeland to the Black Fundraisers podcast stage. I did not read her bio, but trust that I got you covered and we'll share it in the show notes. So check it out there. Good people, without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Jackie Copeland, the matriarch, founder of Black Philanthropy Month. Dr. Copeland, it is a sheer delight to have you join me here on the Black Fundraisers podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Uh, today is the first. It's the first time I've been called a matriarch. It means I'm officially old. <laughs> oh, no. I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be almost 60. There were times I didn't think I was going to make it. So Listen, never would have made it. That's right. I'm here. Still, I rise. Never would have made it. And I didn't mean that in a matronly way. I meant that as a progenitor of something wonderful. Because we're not ageist on the Black Fundraisers podcast. That's just my own joke with myself. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm only teasing here. I'm only teasing. But Black, listen, you all can't see this beauty. Black don't crack. I'm going to tell you that much, boy. Well, whoever came up with that when Black don't crack, you know, if I can only be so fortunate. God has been great. Amen. So Dr. Copeland has joined me and we are going to get right into it for the good people listening who may not be familiar with the origins of Black Philanthropy Month, for which you are the founder. I'd love for you to share your impetus, what inspired you to found it. I'd love that uh, story about the genesis of Black Philanthropy Month. You know, I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors and contemporaries. And 20 years ago, I was living in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis. And people may not realize it, but at the time, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul had the most ethnically diverse Black community in the country. A long time African-American community, more Somalis than any place in the country, more Kenyans, more Liberians. And because I had worked in Africa and, there, and everybody seemed to know that I worked on philanthropy, Women in particular started, a few men, but mostly women started coming to me saying, look, I want to get money to my people back home to support hospitals, schools, or I want to start a nonprofit. And I have no idea how to do that and how to get money. So I became, I became like the pro bono black woman philanthropy advisor. And then I realized, and I've been a Pan-Africanist and a, a proponent of working collectively as a people across our communities in the world since I was a teenager. And I said to myself, you know what, My, I'm African-American, I don't know, countless generations from South Carolina, Gullah Geechee. And I said, I know, born in Philly though, I know my African-American girlfriends do not know all these fantastic sisters from the continent, uh, the Caribbean and elsewhere, and England in particular. And I know 
that they don't know any African-Americans. So my simple initial idea was to just have a circle of women who would get together. We were all struggling, trying to take care of our families, working, volunteering and giving to address community violence. Uh, in the case of the Somali and Liberian women, it was actual war in their homelands. And we had so much in common. And once I got them together, I, you know, I started doing this advising and realized that we all have very specific techniques for raising money that came from our indigenous Black culture. And they were very similar. They were some variation of a giving circle. In the case of the African women, and this is sort of classic in the African voluntary sector, the giving circles can be used to start a business or to pool resources for a community project. And so just seeing how powerful they all were in terms of the capacity to raise, first articulate a dream, a new vision for their community, figure out how to raise money for it, and then make it real. And that's when I got the notion, first I named the group the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network. That's the precursor to Black Philanthropy Month. And then I told them, I said, you know, people need to know that Somalis were able to use a giving circle to create a mall, a major mall on a major street in Minneapolis. They couldn't even get a bank loan. Some of them were refugees. Some of them didn't have any papers to be here. But using their traditional giving, they were able to start to economically empower themselves. And I, so I simply wanted us to exchange time, talent, knowledge, and mutual support. One of the things I was doing was teaching at University of Minnesota, and that was where we would convene. And it became like this incubator for really innovative giving. Some of the women that came out of there in that early period, uh, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matters, uh, Ayo Tometi, her name was Opal at the time, and just all kinds of people who from that interchange were inspired as well as what we could do, with what we could do. And then I started, in the 90s, when I was vice president for programs at the Philly Foundation, we actually brought, I had this project where I brought together gang-impacted youth with some of the wealthiest donors in the community called the Youth Action Summer. And the whole idea was, instead of ostracizing and stigmatizing young people, how could we involve them in the work of United Way and as leaders on the board? to create a better Philadelphia. And I was taught a process called, that's also used at the UN for action summits called Future Search. And I used that process. And so I started applying it to the early summits of the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network because people always ask me, where did you come up with this idea of an action summit? You bring people together from all over the world and 
and then come up with an action plan to make some component of our system better to address racial equity. And it was all from that process. So the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network had a precursor summit to Black Philanthropy Month in 2006. At that time, remember, this is a very global network. We had about um, 20 countries uh, represented. We did the first, I officially announced Black Philanthropy Month in 2011 as part of the UN's International Year and Later Decade for People of African Descent. Uh, The first official summit was held in Minneapolis. We had about 400 people from 30 countries who joined us. Multiple ethnicities, um, African-American, Caribbean, people even came from, Black people from Australia even came. The whole experience has been much more successful than I expected for two reasons. First, I think it hits a nerve. All of us give in some way and it's so hardwired in our DNA. Sometimes we don't even have a formal name for it. And I think Black Philanthropy Month, despite all of the negative stereotypes of our people everywhere across the planet, reminds us, you know, we we got the secret sauce. We have this magic approach. It has been actually a mover of history, if you really think about it. It's how we survived slavery. It's how we survived colonialism. It's how the abolition movement was fueled civil rights movement, the liberation movements in Africa and the Caribbean. So I think part of it is that activating memory about our importance that we do have agency, unlike the stereotype, no, we don't sit around and wait for people to help us. We help ourselves. And in the process, our countries and the world benefits. I want to mention all of the, I'm the founder for sure. Everybody who was involved in that early period would say that. But I always say, you can't do something like this unless you have additional leadership, right? And I also want to mention just the multiple leaders that we sometimes call co-architects who actually help organize It was mostly a social media campaign, and there are two women, Valeda Fullwood and Tracy Webb, who helped, uh, really were instrumental in that whole period of social media campaigns. Because these summits are expensive and time-consuming, and this has always been volunteer work for me. I've never gotten paid for Black Philanthropy Month. And so most of us have day jobs and do this on the side, which is what Black women do, right? And so it was great to have Elena and Tracy's help. And they also, we always had social media, but they're really strong in that area. And so they helped develop that component. Before 2013, when they got involved, we probably had like uh, 8 million people involved in Black Philanthropy Month. Every year between the in-person summit and uh, social media, and then that doubled with Tracy and Valeda's involvement. And then the the early leaders remained involved. One of them, 
Her name is Thelma Ikeor. She uh, leads our Africa effort. Now there are simultaneous Black Philanthropy Month summits in Brazil, Africa, and also the, the Caribbean. And we're, there are about 40, no, 60 countries have been involved from the inception, and now we're up to 19 million people. But there are certain regions of the world that have leadership on our planning committee who are organizing their own continental, in the case of Africa, or countrywide um, Black Philanthropy Month summits, and Canada's involved now. And so it's been great to see this expand to be always a global movement, but to continue to grow as a global movement. So I got a lot of chills as I was listening to you talk. What I'm hearing from you is women from all over the diaspora. These are visionaries. They're enterprising entrepreneurial minded like black women are you just said you alluded to what people refer to as side hustles which a lot of us have and we know why and if you don't know why it's because we don't get paid equitably so most of us have supplemental streams of income right and that's always been the case i'm hearing that these women are solutions architects they know, we talk about it. They, we know what we need. We know what community needs. We know our communities. We love our communities. We're going to address the issues in our community. We're not going to wait. We're not going to beg, borrow, and steal. We're going to organize, and we're going to get this done. The undeniable component of it, I would emphasize a couple of things. I must say, and I don't think I realized how bold an idea it was when I was doing it. I mean, I've been working in philanthropy for a long, long time since I was in my 20s. And I, even with all the research that shows in the U.S., we give higher proportion of our income than other ethnic groups. You always hear somebody at some major philanthropy conference say, Oh, well, you know, um, Black people don't have a tradition of philanthropy. And it drives me absolutely mad. And so part of the impetus, it wasn't just the amazing work I am, and I continue to be sick and tired of the lie. This truth is in everybody's face. These studies have been happening now for 20, 30 years. How long is it going to take dominant philanthropy? to respect our giving for its tremendous power, staying power and impact, not just as a transactional act, but as a fundamental part of black culture, no matter where you go in the world. So that was part of the impetus. And so I went to my sisters and I said, you know what, I'm gonna declare every August Black Philanthropy Month. And they didn't say, are you crazy? (laughs) Some people did say, well, who gave you the authority to do that? And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it and I'm just going to see what happens. Because 
We need a month where we're reminded how important our culture is and how much power we have. But we never had economic justice. We're all, we don't have fair access to private capital. That's why there's all these black, male, female, queer business people got to rob Peter to pay Paul, have side hustles all the time, working ourselves half to death, even when we're equally qualified and educated. Those doors are not open to us. This is also about racial equity and justice and economic justice. And we want, we want to empower our own giving. This is Black led, of course, that's always going to be a part of it. But we want to come together and say to dominant finance institutions, whether they are foundations, other kinds of philanthropies, venture funders that impact investors, that they have some built-in barriers for people of color. So, so I want to go back to something. You raised the topic of economic injustice, right? I came across Black Philanthropy Month's recommended global Black funding principles That's right. along <laughs> with the Black Funding Equity Pledge. And with that pledge, and I'm going to share the link for the good people listening so that they can take a look at this funding equity pledge. There is a call to action there to venture funders, philanthropies, and social impact investors, urging them to sign the pledge and to ratify these principles in the interest of ensuring Black funding equity. I'd like for you to talk about that. That came straight out of the explicit agenda of the Revive 2020 Black Philanthropy Month Action Summit. That was, yeah, let's celebrate. And if you remember back in 2020, this was right after George Floyd's lynching. And there were all of these corporations basically saying, yeah, we have not been fair by y'all. We know it. And so we are going to open up some channels of funding to your community, all right? And they were starting to do that in the U.S. And they were trying to, they were claiming that's what they were going to do internationally in some cases. And part of what happened, you know, many companies didn't make good on those pledges. I did a little research. And I published an article with the Post News Group out of California. Because good people listening, I am a journalist. Yeah. In addition to being a fundraiser, I am a published journalist. And I follow topics that are interesting to me. I found that there was some $50 billion in corporate funding pledged by uh, corporate industry. And... Some 250 million were actually distributed to black-led nonprofits. You know, I'm not going to get into the long list of um, of who some of those actors are, but your girl is still following that. And I will be reporting on that again in May of 2022, when we're around the two-year mark of the George Floyd murder. And I suspect it's likely to be more the same. Right. 
unacceptable, completely, totally unacceptable. It ended up in many instances just being a marketing ploy, a tokenistic effort, and in some ways an emotional response because they saw what we live with every single day. And it was shocking to people's systems. But more is needed. And that was the explicit goal. So we talk about BPM 365 now. It doesn't just stop at the end of August. And so we collectively came up with these 10 principles. We are basically saying, if you sign on to these principles and actually implement them, you will have a measurable positive impact in Black communities. You can come to us. We know collectively how you need to do your funding. So it makes a difference. So it breaks it down. It's not a long book. It's 10 principles. Thank you for that, Dr. Copeland. I will be sharing the link to those funding principles in the show notes. We've arrived at our bonus question segment of the show. And Dr. Copeland, you are very gifted in a very special way. I'd like for you to take a moment to talk a little bit about your gift and what you have in store. I ask myself, what other gifts do you have that you can share with your people and the world? Because we read it all the time. Suicide rates are going up. Mental health issues are escalating. And I feel this sense of despair that is deep rooted, that is very troubling in the Black community. And we've always been about hope, doing no, no apathy, doing what we can together, keeping our, what do we say, eyes on the prize. And I was worried that, you know, this COVID, nouveau racism, economic downturn, climate change was becoming too much for people to bear. Your grandma dies from COVID and you can't even have a funeral for her. And if you do, then the whole extended family has COVID. It just blew my mind. You know, more than half of Black businesses closed in the first half of 2020. And so one of my private spiritual practices is I sing. And I sing in like a chant-like way that is part of my Gullah Geechee Southern heritage, Philly sound heritage, exposure to jazz, going to Catholic school where I'm old enough they were doing mass and Latin and singing Gregorian chants, you know, traveling the world and being exposed to other chant traditions, but people don't really usually recognize that our roots music includes chanting and that chanting our music is designed to calm the spirit in the midst of some of the most horrific human atrocities you can think of and i think of my grandma who was always in the kitchen humming 
That's a chant. You sing that, it connects you to the creator. It channels your ancestors. And it creates this space of inner peace inside you that can carry you through to the next day. And I, I sang so much. In that tradition, my family growing up thought I had a condition. I sang song, I write songs, and I said, you know what? This is private. This is like prayer. But you need to have the courage to share it and remind people that we got giving. We've got our entrepreneurial spirit. But we also have our culture. We have our music. You don't need money to have that. Nobody can take away, take it away from you. And it heals the world. Because much of the world's popular music is based on some African descent, African-American or African singing tradition. So I call this album Black Chant. And I wrote nine of the 12 songs. Some of them are channels for, frankly, anger because holding that inside will make you sick because outside, in addition to being frightened and having anxiety, I think a lot of us sometimes have anger and we need a way to process it. So the new song that's out, Paula, is um, really the song I started, that started coming to me in dreams that I started singing when George Floyd was killed, okay? And it's about all the people, all these children as as well, who have been killed. And it happens so frequently that sometimes people just think it's a normal part of being American. And it is saying, you know what? It's not. And let's remember them. Let's say their names. Do better. And so you can find the full album comes out in April, which is my 60th year. Um, But uh, there are two singles out and um, all of the income, the streaming income is going to be contributed, net streaming income, because they have expenses that they take out of the income. It's gonna be contributed to um, Black Philanthropy Month. So it's also a different way of doing fundraising as well, using a gift that you have from your community. And uh, so far, it's being received. People are saying to me that the music feels like a warm hug. And that just makes me feel great because that's why I did it. Well, I am going to, for the good people listening, I'm going to share the streaming platforms along with those other artifacts for folks to take a look at the guiding funding, the funding equity principles and information links with regard to the wise fund. I just want to thank you because when you make a choice to share your gift of song, of chants, of music, you know, it stretches. I imagine that stretched you in a really different way. I mean, it sounds like it stretched you in a different way to, you know, open and, and be vulnerable around that. And that's really commendable. 
I appreciate you coming on here. Good people listening, you heard it from Dr. Jackie Copeland, the progenitor, I'm not going to call her a matriarch again, of Black Philanthropy Month, a champion for racial and social justice, not just domestically in the U.S. of A., but globally. We celebrate you for your many contributions, and I'm challenging our listeners to consider supporting the WISE Fund and supporting Black Philanthropy Month by volunteering in the spirit of our ancestors, in the spirit of um, the matriarchs and patriarchs of our family who they say many hands makes the work light. Uh, So let's explore ways that we can plug into this event and herald it, participate with it, spread awareness about it, and continue to honor those deep philanthropic traditions that people so often overlook, but that are really intrinsic to us. So Dr. Copeland, I want to thank you for your time and just your many contributions. I just wanted to say thank you to you, Kia, for keeping hope alive, all the work you do, and for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. And good people listening, Until next week, stay tuned, stay down. I'm going to add a different one. Keep your eyes open because it's a lot going on. It's a lot of subterfuge going on. We saw what just happened with voting rights just yesterday. Um, So it's, it's a heavy load, good people listening. But stay tuned, stay down, and keep your head up. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Black Fundraisers podcast. Like what you're hearing? Subscribe to the Black Fundraisers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave a five-star review. Connect with Kia on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter to stay connected.